Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. Um, we land on a passage that is difficult for us to hear. It is difficult. So before we begin, I want to give you some thoughts to consider. Whenever an offense occurs, typically, it's usually the offended party that gets to offer conflict resolution as long as it's fair and just and the offender to accept the offer. So let me give you an example. If you break the speeding limit, the police officer can give you a warning and you can accept it. If you break the speeding limit, the police officer can give you a ticket and you accept it. If you don't do well at your job, you may get a warning, you can accept it. If you don't do well in your job, you may lose your job and you accept it. Offense, offending party. If you don't pay rent, you may lose your living situation or the landlord may give you a grace period. Offense, offended party. The same thing happens with God. God has a standard for all human beings, and it's to love God and love your neighbor. If you were to transgress this standard, if you were to offend God, you also need to reconcile to God, the offended party. His way of conflict resolution and reconciliation is simply this, for you to believe in the gospel of his son and be forgiven. That's his way for you. Not to work hard, work harder, earn your salvation, but simply believe in his son. That's his way. For Jesus can take away your sins and give you his righteousness. It is both loving and it is just. We do, however, have the option to not take this offer if we do not take this offer, then we have chosen to be unreconciled to God. We have chosen to not, to not have a good relationship with God. Interestingly, this is what God will give you if you choose this. Instead of a good relationship with him forever, he will let you have a bad relationship with him forever. The absence of God's favor and the presence of God's wrath. That's the scary part that we're going to look at, and it's in the beginning of our verses. Let me give you a quote by C.S. Lewis. In the long run, the answer to all those who object the doctrine of hell, what are you asking God to do? And I'm going to try to say it in my words. What are you asking God to do? Well, I want him to just wipe away my sins at all costs and just give me a fresh start. Just let me be okay. If that's what you're asking God to do, he has already done that at Calvary through his son. You just need to accept it. If you're asking God to leave you alone, that is what God will give. I'm afraid that is what he does. He will leave you alone. So that's what we're going to consider today. It's going to be a hard text. 
But let's pray to God and ask for his blessing and his will to be done in the reading and preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, your love is unmatched. Your patience is uncontested. Your purposes are all wonderful. Would you remind us of these truths as we hear your word and behold your son, Jesus Christ, and the wonderful gospel that you have offered to us. Thank you for this privilege that even now many people do not have, but we get to have it. Thank you. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 39. This is the living word of God. Hear now his word. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall, the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We have one of the best news. We have, no, let me change. We have the best news in the world. We have a news worth fighting for, worth striving for, worth dying for, worth living for, worth believing in. As Christians, we ought not to be stubborn people, but we ought to have a stubborn faith because we have such good news. This news It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. It's so good, in fact, that we should have stubborn faith. 
that we would want it more than anything. And in our text today, our author tells us at least three points, essentially. He says, beware of rejecting the gospel because it's good news. Be reminded of the gospel because it's good news and believe in the gospel because it's good news. So that's what I want to tell you today. Beware of rejecting the gospel because it's good news. Be reminded of the gospel because it's good news. And believe in the gospel because it's good news. And we're going to look at the first two verses, the scary one, and let's talk about that. Let's look at verses 26 to 27. Here's what the author says to the Jewish Christians. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that would consume the adversaries. So when the author says, if we go on sinning deliberately, and he says, here's one of the results, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, the author means exactly what he said. He's telling the Jewish Christians, if we go on sinning deliberately, the sacrifice of Jesus for sins does not apply to you. That is what it says. He also says, if we go on sinning, and then there's the fearful expectation, expectation of judgment, he means what he says. He means God's wrath awaits you. That's what he means. But the question is, what does sinning deliberately mean? Because I don't want to do that. I don't think anyone here wants to do that. What does it mean? Well, let me offer you something. It is not any sin in general. So if you're worried, it's not any sin in general, but it's a particular sin. How do we know that? There are at least three ways we can know that in our verse today, verse 26. First, it says if we go on sinning. So the first thing you know about this sin is it's a sin that goes on being committed. It's a sin that's perpetual. It's a sin that's continual. It's a sin that's unrepentant. Second, he says, it's a sin that is deliberate. It's a sin that is purposed. It's a sin that is willed. And third, he says, it's a sin that occurs after receiving the knowledge of the truth. It's a sin that's against the truth. It's a sin that ignorant people cannot commit but knowledgeable people of the gospel can commit. It's a sin that's thought through. It's a sin that's calculated. So it's a specific sin. And the author warns the Jewish Christians that, that people can go on deliberately committing the sin, which results in the sacrifice of Jesus for sins not applying to you, but the wrath of God awaiting you. I'm going to say that one more time. There is a particular sin that you can go on deliberately committing, which results in the sacrifice of Jesus for sins not applying to you, but the wrath of God awaiting you. 
It's been scary so far. So what is the sin? I'm going to tell you the quick answer, and then I'll try to show it to you. What is the sin? Here's the sin. It's the total and utter rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go on deliberately rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice does not apply to you, and God's wrath awaits you. Your sins are undealt with. How do we know this? Look at verse 29. The author says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? How do we know this? Because this sin is the trampling underfoot the Son of God considering or profaning the blood of the covenant and outraging the Spirit of grace. That word profane um, in the Greek, profane is good. Um, there's a nuance that's lost. In the Greek, it, it means consider common. So it means if you treat the blood of Jesus as something common, something unholy, nothing special about it. Jesus' blood is just like anyone else's blood. It can't save me. If you treat it like that, you are profaning it. That's the sin. What's the difference between Jesus' blood and animals' blood? I can offer animals. Why do I need Jesus' blood? Why do I need Jesus' blood at all? And it's insulting the spirit of grace. So what is the sin? It's rejecting the gospel of Jesus. Our first point is, beware of rejecting the gospel because it's good news. Why do you want to reject good news? Beware of rejecting the gospel. How serious is this sin? Look at verses 28 to 31. The author says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How serious is rejecting the gospel? How serious is the sin? The author tells the Jewish Christians that if anyone set aside the law of Moses in the Old Testament, he died without mercy for that sin. But for this sin, he says the punishment is worse. What could be worse than dying without mercy? And the answer of the author is that the living God will personally repay you with his vengeance. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Beware of rejecting the gospel. It is good news. It saves you. Please, don't. Um, Long-distance relationships are difficult. I am in one with Sarah, and she's right there. And I know at least one other person who is in one in this room. And I'm assuming there are probably more than two of us because of COVID. 
here's something, simp- here's something that I think we can all agree on. An in-person relationship far outweighs a long-distance relationship. So, if I had the opportunity to marry Sarah today and to have an in-person relationship with her starting today, it would be foolish of me to settle for a long-distance relationship. Now, here's the part. I'm going to use the words that the author says. And here's something more foolish. If I go on deliberately settling for a long-distance relationship until I die, even though I have the opportunity to be with her in person, then I, I probably never wanted her. I probably wanted a Zoom screen of her. I didn't really want the person. In a similar way, the author warns the Jewish Christians of going on, deliberately rejecting the gospel after receiving the knowledge of truth. Why would you, if I was talking to Jewish Christians, if I was the author, why would you continue to live as if Jesus' sacrifice was meaningless? And why would you continue to offer unnecessary sacrifices which cannot save you, which does not please God? The gospel is genuine. The gospel is real. The value is tremendously overwhelming. It's the blood of God's Son. Why would you want to go back to your old life and your old way of worship apart from Jesus? How will you deal with your sins apart from Jesus? Why would you want to reject the gospel? Please don't. What will you do? How will you stand before God? Please don't. Beware of rejecting the gospel because it's good news. And maybe, maybe this is you today, or maybe this is someone you know. And here's some comments that you might hear. Um, I'm tired of Christianity. That's what you believe, but that's not for me anymore. I've been there, done that. I don't feel like church is for me. Not anymore. I'm starting to, I don't think it's right for me. Do you guys see that? The subtleties in that of kind of going towards rejecting the gospel? Please don't. It's good news. It's not bad. It's good for you. But I want to remind you something that you may have forgotten. The gospel is genuine. The gospel is real. The value is tremendously overwhelming. The blood of God's son. The gospel is good news. Beware of rejecting the gospel. And my friends, I want to tell you what the gospel is again. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Everyone, all of us, we have sinned against God and fallen short of his glory. And those things are not trivial things. We have offended the Most High. But he offers us a way. What is his way? The good news of Jesus Christ. 
The good news is that God so loved the world that anyone, anyone, Jew, Gentile, sinner, tax collector, murderer, prostitute, the guilt-ridden, the shameful, those of us who have been failing over and over and over again, those who are watching on live stream, those who are sitting here today, myself, anyone, anyone who believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. How? For Christ suffered once for sins, for any believer's sins, the totality of his or her sins, for their sins yesterday, for their sins today, for their sins tomorrow, for their sins five years ago, for any sins that you're thinking in your mind, for their whole life's sins, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone or anyone who is hanged on a tree, and Christ hanged on a tree. For he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. This is good news. And this gospel costed Jesus his life. And it comes to us free. Free. If we'd receive it by believing it. Jesus has taken away your sins by giving you his righteousness. Jesus has taken your death by giving you his life. Jesus has taken away your forsakenness by God by giving you a relationship with God. Jesus has taken away your status as children of wrath and gave you adoption rights to become children of God. Jesus has taken away your slavery to sin and given you his freedom from sin. Why? What did we do to deserve this? Don't, didn't we just deserve death? So the answer to why is, what did we do to deserve this? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Then why? Why did we receive this? Because God, out of his mere pleasure, according to the counsel of his will, for his own glory, decided to. Because God is good. And he wanted you to have good news. This is the gospel. The gospel is genuine. The gospel is real. The value is tremendously overwhelming. The blood of, the blood of God's son. Please do not reject this gospel. Beware of rejecting this gospel. What will you do? It's good news. Um... And there may be some of you here today, or maybe you know someone. I don't know what's tempting you to reject the gospel, but I want to tell you this. Whatever that temptation is, it cannot, it does not, and it will never compare to even a fraction of the goodness of this good news. Please, Beware of rejecting the gospel. 
So instead of rejecting the gospel, what ought we to do? Um, be reminded of the gospel because it's good news. Be reminded. Where do we see that? Look at verse 32, 34. Here's what the author says. But recall, remember, be reminded of the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So instead of rejecting the gospel, what ought the Jewish Christians do? The author says, remember, recall, be reminded. He essentially says this, remember how you were after you were enlightened? Remember the reason for your vigor, for your tenacity, for your grit, for your strength, for your undying love? Remember that? Remember how you endured sufferings, public reproach, and affliction? Remember how you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property? Remember that? Do you remember that? And if I was talking to you today, if the author was talking to us, remember how you've had such fire for God? Remember the reason for your zeal? Remember how you used to spend time with him and nothing can get in that way? Remember how you wanted to spend time with him? Remember how you used to praise him joyfully? Remember how you would do anything for him? Do you remember that? What was the Jewish Christian's motivation? What drove them? What sustained them? Where was this indestructible strength coming from? How could they brave such sufferings, public reproach, and affliction? How could they not merely be okay, but joyfully, joyfully accept the plundering of their property? How did they do that? Because if we can figure out how they did that, then maybe we can do that. Maybe we could deal with our depression, complacency, apathy, anger, self-pity, self-sufficiency. Maybe we can deal with our lukewarmness or our almost giving up. How did they do that? And the author tells us an answer in verse 34. He says, since they knew, they knew that they themselves had a better possession and an abiding one. How did the Jewish Christians do that? They knew that nothing and no one can compare to the better, abiding, enduring, everlasting gospel and all of its benefits. They knew. What, what are some of its benefits? A kingdom everlasting. Everlasting life. The forgiveness of sins. Redemption. Reconciliation to God. Justification. Adoption. Sanctification. Glorification, fellowship with the Holy Trinity, resurrection power, communion of the saints from every different background, all the saints, discipline, purpose, security, peace, 
Jesus. They could lose everything, but as long as they had the gospel of Jesus, they had more than enough. So the author tells them to remember the gospel. Be reminded of the gospel because it's good news. I want to clarify something. The author is not telling them to remember their fortitude in it of itself. He's telling them to remember the reason for it. Don't think back and remind yourself of how you were only, how you were at that retreat, how you were five years ago, how you were when you first came to Jesus. Don't remind yourself only of how you were, but why you were how you were. What was the reason for it? Be reminded of the reason for your vigor, for your tenacity, grit, undying love, strength. What was the reason? And it's the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. So our second point again, be reminded of the gospel because it's good news. And I don't know what happened to us, some of us. I don't know how we got to the place we're in. But if you are not in a good place, how much more so do you need to remind yourself of the gospel? What are some ways you can do that? Go look at your past journals and be reminded of the gospel and all of God's activities in your life. I don't have a journal. Go sit down with a Christian brother or sister and reminisce the reason for your zeal. Go spend time with the Lord and remember what he has done in your life. Remember where you came from? Remember how lost we were without him? Do whatever you got to do except sin to remind yourself of the gospel. Where would you be without God? Where would you be without this good news? Be reminded of the gospel because it's good news. So our first point, beware of rejecting the gospel. Second point, be reminded of the gospel. And here's our third point. Believe in the gospel because it is good news. Let's look at verses 35 to 39. The author says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author tells the Jewish Christian that they are not those who shrink back, but have faith. What is faith? It's believing. They are those who believe. Now, with what kind of believing? I'm going to look at 35, 36, and 39, and I'll say this pretty quickly. What kind of believing? Verse 35. A kind of believing that does not throw away your confidence, but rather clings to it, holds fast to it. Verse 36. A kind of believing that is enduring, persevering, continuing, 
and kind of believing that does the will of God. It's active, not passive. Verse 39, a kind of believing that does not shrink back. So if it's not shrink back, what is it? Presses forward. Presses forward. So with what kind of believing should we believe in the gospel? It sounds like a stubborn kind of believing. It sounds like a stubborn faith. As Christians, we ought not be stubborn people, but we ought to have a stubborn faith because we have the best news. How do we do that? How do we have this believing? Um, I had a conversation with my brother in Christ, um, and he may be watching, and we talked about some ways to get out of a spiritual rut. And he felt that some of these ways were for the spiritually handicapped. And he asked, wouldn't, if I did that, wouldn't that be like using a crutch? To which I responded, then crutch your way to Jesus. And we both smiled and chuckled. Crutch your way to Jesus. Do whatever you got to do. Don't sin, but do whatever you got to do to believe in Jesus. Do whatever you got to do to continue to believe in Jesus. Even if you got to crutch your way to him. And if we were honest, let's be honest. We, we're all spiritually handicapped. We all need to use crutches, right? So here are some ordinary ways, ordinary means of grace. And you know this. Read the Bible. I have a hard time reading the Bible. Go find someone who read it to you. There's audios online. I don't understand. Go, go find someone who will teach you. Read the Bible. Pray. I have a hard time praying. Lock yourself in a closet. Five minutes. Five minutes. Lock from the inside. If you're locked from the outside, I don't know how you're going to get out, but pray. Come join the prayer meetings we have weekly. If you have a hard time praying, then don't pray, but be there and let other brothers or sisters pray for you. Come to Sunday worship. Worship God. Hear the gospel preached at you. Rest in him. You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not here. You can just come as you are and worship God and freely receive the good gift he has given you. Join a cell group. If you joined a cell group, be intentional with your cell group. Go bother someone in your cell group. Fellowship with your Christian community in a safe way. Bother your pastors, mainly Pastor John. <laughs> I'm just kidding, you can bother me. Um, or anyone who serves you. We have, a great, we have great service teams. We have a lot of teams. Do whatever you got to do. I don't care if you use two crutches, five crutches. I don't care if you have those, you wheel to Jesus. Do whatever you got to do except sin to believe in Jesus. But don't, don't drift away. Don't do that. So here are our three points. Beware of rejecting the gospel. Be reminded of the gospel. And believe in the gospel. Because it's good news. It is good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, who are we that you are mindful of? You know us exactly. 
you know us better than ourselves. And you know everything we have done, everything we do, and everything we will do. Not just our deeds, but even our thoughts. Why would you give us your son? Thank you so much for this good news. Thank you that although we are undeserving, we have received it. Thank you for loving us in this way. Father, some of us are having a hard time. Life is hard. And we're tempted to give up. Please help us. Help us. Please help us to remember the gospel. And God, as we remember it, may it result in glorifying your name and thanking you and praising you from today for, to all the way to eternity when we get to see Jesus face to face. Thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.